0: asked me to come up here and just share a little testimony with you about how God has dealt with me with my pride. And um, the verse I chose to explain this was Matthew six one. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And um, I just have to confess to you that the last maybe year or so, it's kind of been a subtle thing in my life that I've I've looked at my motives of my heart, and God has just shown me that I have been doing that, just practicing my Christian walk in a way that might seem worthy to Him, but um, and maybe to you because man just looks on the outside, but God knows my heart. And um, the last couple weeks, He's been surgically <laughs> removing the pride from my heart and just showing me that it's not enough to do right. It's it has to come from your heart. Otherwise your motives are gonna destroy whatever it is that you're doing. So
1: i
2: I've always uh, had a struggle with, with pride and humility and, and so forth, and I think it's real fitting that I've been asked to share about myself. As a, as a Bible major, I think one of the main um, difficulties that we as Bible majors go through is just uh, you're, you're constantly in, this, in, the, in the Scripture and in, in, in these Bible classes and stuff, and you accumulate so much head knowledge that you start feeling pretty good about yourself, and you start thinking, man, I, I know pretty much now or something, and you start feeling almost as if you've arrived and that becomes a real problem. And I've always struggled with that. And, and I've worked with youth for a number of years. And, you know, when kids start looking up to you, you start feeling, you know, like, you know, you're some kind of hero or something after a while. And and I guess one of the things that I've just been really, that God has really been teaching me as of late, is just um, I work at a pharmacy uh, part-time. And uh, one of the things about that pharmacy is if, when people ask me what I do, basically my job description is I get yelled at for eight hours a day when I go to work. And it's real difficult because some of the people that I have to deal with just irritate the fire out of me sometimes. And I just, you know, to, to react in a godly way there is very difficult sometimes. And one of the things that really has been convicting me about the last three weeks or four weeks or so is just, you know, the way that I respond or the way that I see myself responding and, and I really don't like the way I see myself responding at times and I, and I don't although I have this head knowledge of how I should be acting when, I, when it comes down to practice I don't see myself acting that way all the time and I think that's the, the real thing that I'm trying to learn now and God has really been putting it on my heart is. it's good that you can explain you know different Bible passages like the kenosis or something and go through that but yet you've got to be able to bring it down into, into the practical application of your life or it doesn't mean anything and I think that's what what the Lord has really been showing me is to, to get it out of my head, put it into my heart, and put it into my life more consistently. Especially, and it's easy to do it here, and that's why you know with a lot of my Christian friends, it's it's pretty easy to act, you know, pretty good. But uh, in a in a hostile environment, to be able to to behave in a way that they can say, "Man, this guy's different," and that's what the Lord's really been teaching me lately. This next song is called. Uh lifter of my head. It's kind of a new one that we're introducing. I'm sure many of you have sang it in a a church or a youth
3: group. Um, So we'll go through this a couple of times.
1: Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You're the lifter of my head. Let's do that whole thing one more time. Thou, oh Lord, are the shield about me. You. You're my God.
3: enters into deep relationships with people or you get to know people, you open yourself for an opportunity not only to see their sin, but for them to see your sin. And it's at those times when people are really seeing your sin, when me, I respond and I say, well, you've seen my sin and now you're supposed to react like this. You know, I've looked through my Bible and you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things. And, and, and that's what you're going to do now, you know. And I expect that from them. And I stand there and I say, you have to do that because this is the Bible and it says that. And then and then as I do that, I start to realize, or I have started to realize this is how God's really been dealing with me, is that it's not their responsibility, first of all. The the start, the change needs to come from within me. And as I see areas in my life where people aren't loving me the way I think they should, it's probably because I'm not loving them the way I should. And that's my responsibility to deal with that. And that's kind of where God's been dealing with me over this last semester. Please stand for
1: our last song. It's called Our God Reigns.
2: grateful to be called children of God. For your name is truly majestic, God, and we are sinful, prideful people, God. Please crush our pride, Lord, and our sinfulness, so that your name may be glorified. In your name, amen.
4: Hi, Kev. Just want to make sure you're here. We pray just for a moment. Close your eyes by your head for a sec. Um, Father God, you know my heart, and you know that anytime somebody stands up to talk about humility, um, it somehow seems to imply that they're supposed to be an expert in that area. And God, you know my heart, and you know how many times I fail. You know how arrogant I am. And God, before all these people, I confess my sin. So, God, as we look at your word, I pray that you would convict each and every one of us in this this area. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to confess my hypocrisy in this area. If I'm going to get up here and talk to you about humility, you need to know that I don't have it anywhere near altogether. Um, Isaiah 66 2 it says, The Lord is speaking. It says, This is the one who I esteem, the one who is humble contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And I, have, I often have to ask myself, what does it mean to be humble? What, is it, what does it look like? Because it seems like every time I get close to it, I notice that I'm being humble and then it's all over. You know what I mean? Um, I just can't seem to win in this area. What does it mean to be humble? And more importantly, I guess the question is, what what is it that blocks us from being truly humble and broken people? From being contrite in spirit. What does it mean to be contrite? To be, as Jesus put it in Matthew 5, to be poor in spirit, to be bankrupt within ourselves. What does it mean? What does that look like in a believer? What does it look like in my life and in your life? This is an area that I am so weak in, it's not even funny. I'm not even sure why I'm up here telling you about it. But I've been wanting to talk about this since October. I haven't had the guts to, frankly. Because I'm so guilty of it. I'm so arrogant. seems like when I I read the, the Puritan writings... There's a common theme. I've got this book of Puritan prayers. and There's a common theme throughout all the prayers. There's a sense of, God, I just hate myself. I despise myself. I loathe my very being. And I read that and I just go, you know, poor, bad self-complex. I mean, just like, "What's, what's wrong with this guy? And it's not like they're going, it's not like they're looking in the mirror and going, you know, I don't like the fact that I'm losing my hair, so I hate that. I don't like how I look or how I dress or how my body is shaped and I hate that. No, it's a a deeper level. It's a hatred of their very character of who they are deep inside. They can't stand to be with themselves. That's frustrating. I mean, you know, anyone else you can walk away from. You can't walk away from yourself. And it it makes you wonder what was it about them that made them think that way or feel that way? Can I just make an observation real quick? I've noticed here on this campus and maybe it's because even though it's at like the areas you're struggling the most, you tend to notice it more. I think we're a very arrogant campus. can I just say that. I think we, as a group of people, have a tendency to be really arrogant, and I think it's very subtle. And I think often it's a it's a kind of a slip. But um, it's dangerous when you when when you start to set yourself up. I appreciated what Gary had to say so much about how you spend so much time in the Word. We have such incredibly good teachers here. It's easy to think, well, I'm in a good school, I'm around good teachers, I must be pretty good, and it doesn't work. And we're such, we're arrogant people. And why, why is that? What is it that the Puritans had? What is it that when Peter was in the boat with Jesus, and he's been fishing all night, and Jesus says, come on, Peter, just cast your nets out one more time. Peter does it, catches all this fish. The first thing Peter does when he looks at Jesus and says, he says, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. That was his first response to God? What is our response? As we spend time with the Word, as we spend time looking at what God has to say to us, so often it's like, oh, I've heard that before. Um, I know that already. I know that verse. I've heard it before. It doesn't apply to me right now. We're arrogant people. I'm convinced that one of the reasons is because we don't truly understand our own sinfulness. Not to the point where it just breaks us. And that's something that the Puritans had. It shows up in our lack of compassion. It shows up in our lack of love for people, our self centeredness. Um, Why do we study apologetics? To defend the faith. But why? For a lot of us, sometimes it's because we get so frustrated on those times when we witnessed to somebody and they had something to say that we didn't know how to defend. And so next time I'm going to get them, I'm going to know the answer and I'm going to pound them with it. No compassion. we mock other people we belittle people we mock other schools Um, the stuff we have on stage today I appreciate it I thought it was funny I didn't see a whole lot of harm in that but it's when you start looking at Biola or Westmont or any other school and going you know they're not as spiritual as we are they have more sinners on their campus than we do that's a lie that's wrong That's a misunderstanding of your own sinfulness and my own sinfulness when we start thinking that way. So why are we so so arrogant? I'm convinced it's because of our sinfulness. We don't see it in the light of God's character. We don't understand who God is, and it doesn't mark us the way it should. It's easy, as Paul said, it's easy to see other people and go, you know, gosh, they are really sinful. They really hurt me, you know it's easy to go man what people do to me sometimes oh it's so wrong but my own sin I look at it and go well you know under the circumstances it's an understandable reaction you know or at worst it's an honest mistake slip of the tongue maybe the other day uh, I let someone borrow my car and I didn't quite know where it is and it's, that's a usual thing I, I usually don't know where my car is um, so I called up the guy who had borrowed it and I got a, a lounge number um, and I uh, I called, and the phone's ringing, 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 and someone picks it up, and they go, hello, and I go, could you find this person for me, please? Sure. Click. They hung up. So I go, well, maybe it was an honest mistake. I go, I'll call back. I dial the number again, ring, 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 click, click. It's done. They just didn't answer the phone. So now, now I'm angry, of course. You know, how rude. So I call up again. This time they got creative. They pick up the phone and they let it hang so I could hear it kind of dangling. And I really needed my car, you know, going, that is so rude. I'm, I'm just like, I'm now I'm really angry. And it's so easy for me to notice their sinfulness and to look at my own anger and go, understandable under the circumstances. It's a natural reaction. It's not that bad. And that's not true. I'm just as sinful as they are. I like the story of Jonah in chapter 4. Take a look at it real quick. Jonah chapter 4. I really like Jonah because Jonah was very honest. You know what? (laughs) Cool. There it is. Okay. Jonah, actually got to start in chapter 3. Remember, you guys all know the story. Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches, repent. And lo and behold, much to Jonah's displeasure and surprise, Nineveh repented. Darn it. So... Jonah says, okay, it says in verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw their deeds and that they had turned from their wicked way, God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And look at verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. You ever notice that sometimes we put more judgment on people than God does? I do. Okay. And it goes on. It says, And we prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Now, Jonah doesn't answer here. Instead, he goes and he sulks. Sits outside there for a while. Gets really hot. God causes the plant to grow, right? Gives him shade. And it says in verse 6 that Jonah was extremely happy about this plant. Verse 7. God appointed a worm when dawn came. The next day when it attacked, the planet withered. And it came about when the sun came up and God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head. Must have been bald. So that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better than me. Uh, better to me than life then God said to Jonah do you have good reason to be angry about the plant and what did he say I have good reason to be angry even unto death I appreciate his honesty ever had that you know someone goes do you have the right to be angry oh yes I do they even answer the phone for crying out loud so what does God say you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow and which came up overnight and perished overnight basically it's just a plant Jonah then he goes, And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not even know the difference between the right and left hand? John had a problem with perspective. He didn't understand God's grace. And that is a huge issue when it comes to arrogance. When we think that somehow we deserve grace more than everyone else does. And therefore we have a right to look down on other people because we've been saved. And that's wrong. Let me read you a quote here. It's by a guy named Thomas... A. Kempis. I have to confess my ignorance. I have no idea who this man is. But it's a really good quote. Listen to this. We are too quick to resent and feel what we suffer from others, but fail to consider how much others suffer from us. Whoever considers his own defects fully and honestly will find no reason to judge others harshly. That's good, huh? Reminds me of that one parable with the, with the two Slaves, the one slave owed like a large, huge amount of money, and the king said, I forgive you of it. And he turns right around, and when another guy owes him like a quarter, the guy throws him in jail for it. You know the story? And it's like if we realize our own defects, if we're fully aware of that, there's no way we can ever look at someone else and judge them harshly like that. Every sin is inexcusable, but we belittle it. And that's easy to do here on this campus. It's easy to belittle sin. You know why? Because it's not as obvious we've got rules here and I appreciate them we have rules here that don't allow you to drink don't allow you to smoke don't allow you to go out and have premarital sex don't allow you to do a lot of things and so it's easy to look at all those things and go well I'm not doing those things okay I don't sin in those big areas so it's no big deal sin isn't as obvious I think the only exception to this I promised someone I'd mention this the only exception to this is I think intramural basketball games if you want to see your fellow classmates sin, come to an intramural basketball game. It's, it's, it's classic. I mean, people lose their religion so quickly out there. I mean, it's just so uh, I had a I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine last week, and we we're we we're talking about sin and the weight of it and how much it affects us and how we see some sin as more important than others. And uh, this girl told me she goes, um, and I I, had, I mean I agreed with her to a point. I'm going, she goes, uh, selfishness is something that I struggle with all the time. And it's gonna be with me for the rest of my life. It's just, it's just something. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like I'm gonna to have to go through it all my life. It's just selfishness, you know. It's not that bad. At least I'm not gay or something, you know. And I thought about that for a second. And you know, and there's, there's a rationale to that. It's like I look at that and I go, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, selfishness doesn't seem that big of a deal compared to like homosexuality or some big sin like that. But you know, I've got, I've got some gay friends who would say, you know, I may be loving the wrong kind of person but at least I'm loving selflessly and you are selfish and that is repulsive see the gay person has every right to point at me as much as I have to point at them we're all sinners it's all inexcusable we have no right to judge it's by God's grace we've been saved remember what does it say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 by grace through faith you've been saved not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works that no one can boast that's the whole point so we can't boast it's it's a gift it's from God he just gave it to us because he wanted to because he loved us we didn't earn it but you know it seems like well back then I didn't earn it but now I'm getting a lot better you know be honest with you I don't know if I can prove I love God today any more than I could 10 years ago it seems like the more time goes by the more sin I see in my life and I you know, I, I look at God and I go God I can't even prove to you I love you with my obedience because I'm so disobedient I'm so sinful I got. I still have nothing to offer him. You know what I mean? I still don't have anything. The arrogance assumes I have something. Humility assumes I don't. Another quote by Jonathan Edwards. This guy I've heard of, but I don't know him real well. He was dead anyway, so... Jonathan Edwards. Seek that you may see that you are utterly undone and that you cannot help yourself, and yet that you do not deserve that God should help you and that he would be perfectly just if he should refuse to ever help you. If you have come to this, then you'll be prepared for comfort. When persons are thus humble, it is God's manner soon to comfort. Does that make sense? When you come to God without the excuses, without the justifications, without the little reasons as to why, you know, it's a justifiable reaction, get rid of all that stuff go for true forgiveness admit what you've done and take what's real see for a lot of us our depravity though is just a simply it's it's, a, it's an intellectual assent it's a, it's a doctrinal statement I believe in the depravity of man and it never affects us to the point where we mourn over our sin and we, we are broken over it it never horrifies us so somewhere deep within us there's a little voice that says you know I'm not that bad I'm not that bad I'm not a Jeffrey Dahmer I'm not a Ted Bundy you know, I, I have my little sins, but they're not that bad. But to God, they're inexcusable, and every one of them is enough to condemn. Arrogance is a result of underestimating our sin, and thereby cheapening God's grace and God's forgiveness. Let's, let me read you one more quote. Um, by a guy named Larry Crab, and it's a it's a this just convicted the heck out of me the other day. It's kind of long, so please bear with me. The mystery, of course, is that the one who completely condemns is the same one who completely forgives. God is both holy and loving, but we cannot enjoy his love until we are first crushed by the weight of his holiness. To put it another way, we have no interest in his forgiveness until we see our need of it. The more we become aware of how thoroughly self-centered we are, and, more important and the more important and wonderful his forgiveness becomes. Proud people have no sense of impending judgment. They expect compliments and thereby never learn of God's forgiving grace. Humble people have meet God in all his wonder as an unbending judge whose heart of love has found a way to forgive them and to restore them to relationship with himself. When we in our sin meet God in his grace, this is the most. this does the most change in us. And an ongoing encounter with God in which we further probe the depths of his forgiveness, not by sinning more, but by recognizing more of our sin, That continues the process of change. When more than anything else we long for forgiveness, then we learn to celebrate forgiveness as a foundation of our lives. His grace, not our effort, becomes everything. As we value God's grace more, we change from self-centered people who angrily yearn for relief to other-centered people who celebrate His forgiveness by longing to know Him better and to make Him better known. Change is not only possible for, but also promised to the Christian who believes that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 why don't you bow your head just for a moment I'm going to ask you to, to do something think over when's the last time you were really broken over your sin and how did that affect you when's the last time you caught a glimpse of God's holiness and God's grace and were able to recognize just how horrible you are and yet that God loves you just the same and that was enough for you there's no need to compare we're all empty, we're all broken comparison is useless we all lose I'm going to ask you to pray something with me. I'm going to read this prayer and just listen to it, follow along with uh, mentally. At the end, if you agree with it, you want to pray it, just say amen. It's a prayer of confession. Lord, at every moment of my life, regardless of the hurt I experience, your law condemns me. Your standards are right, but I cannot meet them. I am not good enough, not nearly good enough to do what you require. I am worthy only of judgment. Forgiveness is my deepest need right now and will be my deepest need until I die. Because your atoning death meets that need, I can live in the freedom of forgiveness, neither obsessed with my sin nor indifferent towards it. Lord God, break me of my prideful arrogance. Do whatever it takes to bring genuine humility into my heart. Amen. You're dismissed.